music sounded great today. Well done, musicians. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 7. Appreciate all the sound people and all the things that happened to get this going. All you guys out there getting the, the snow cleared. It's hard when the snow starts falling right at the beginning of the service. I appreciate uh, Jerry Wolf and, and uh, Joe Spradlin getting out there and Nathaniel. Just people getting out there and working. It's a real blessing. So thank all of you for your, for your faithfulness. We are learning how to study the Bible. So we know the Bible says that the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. The Bible tells us that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We do know that there is coming at, at some point a one-world government system and it's going to be anti-God and anti-Christ. And already we're seeing a world that is very much anti-Christian. Well, that's not a surprise to anybody who has been reading the Bible. Amen. So we're not surprised. And so what is fun is now we live at a point in history where we can see so much of the Bible, what, what God has said, being fulfilled all around us. Now, we want to be careful, you know, we, we don't want to, we'll see something that happens in history. Well, that's the fulfillment of this. Well, it may or may not be. It just depends on what happens next, right? Uh, I mentioned that some people say, you know, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? And, well, the answer is no. But Doug Wilson said, if you don't want people to think it's the mark of the beast, then stop acting like a beast. Isn't that fair? And so, no, I don't believe that that's what it is, but you can see that this is the type of government control that where they just want to see how much they can get us to do. How, hey, let's continue to see. It's like a far side comic. I, I can see these guys. Let's see if we can make them wear a mask all the time. You think we can do that? That'll never happen. I'll bet you a dollar. Can't you just see this far side where they're talking about doing this? And we're all looking around going, what in the world's going on? If we're going to study the Bible and we're really going to be able to interpret what is actual biblical prophecy and what isn't, we're going to start studying. So that's a specific example. We're going to start studying over the next couple of weeks this principle of comparison. You learn things in the Bible by, by comparisons. And today's comparison is prophecy versus prediction. Prophecy versus prediction. So here in Exodus chapter 7, we get an actual definition of what a prophet is. So look at Exodus chapter 7 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he shall send the children of Israel out of his land. So here's God's formula. God speaks, tells the prophet what to say, then the prophet says it. That's, that's what a prophet is. A prophet is one who speaks for God. We think, when we think of this idea of prophecy, it, it, we think of, you know, Okay, there's going to be the beast. We were just talking about that. There's going to be the, you know, the mark of the beast. There's going to be the images. There's all that stuff that the Bible talks about. Well, that's prediction. 
And that is part of what a prophet would do. But if you think that the only thing a prophet did was tell the future, then you're not going to be able to understand your Bible as you study it. So a prophet was essentially God's spokesman. And his sole mission was to speak the word of God and only the words which God gave him to speak. As a matter of fact, we're studying the book of Jonah in my uh, adult class. And in the book of Jonah, God told him, I'm going to tell you what to speak. I'm going to tell you what to say. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, the theme verse for our disciple or training, is I would that you all speak the same thing. How do we know what to say? For me as a preacher, how do I know what to communicate? Well, God told me what to say. This is what I am supposed to say. And so the theme of this study is study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The, the role of the preacher is preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. I communicate the truth from God. That's the job. That's the job. So, am I a biblical prophet? No. No, I'm a preacher of the word of God. A prophet was essentially God's spokesman. So as, a, as God's spokesman, he's not only a foreteller, right? Someone that foretells what's going to happen. He's also a foreteller. Just you speak forth. You boldly say what God has said. So why don't we have prophets now? You know, there are some people today that think they're a prophet, right? Man, I wish I had that because I could make a lot of money on the stock market, on gambling, on football. By the way, there was an important game yesterday. How many of you saw there was an important game yesterday? And it's that the Packers lost. I know that's what y'all are thinking. And an ex-bear took him down. That's exactly right. Let's have our invitation now. God has spoken. The Holy Spirit has worked. Yes, I'm a heathen just like you. Um, no, if I could foretell the future... But there's lots of stuff that I would have done differently in my life. How many of you have ever said, boy, if I had only known? If I had only known. So prophecy can be foretelling the future, but mostly it's just telling people what God has said. Sometimes you're telling them what God has said about the future. Sometimes he was telling them something different. But why don't we have prophets now? Why is there no office of the prophet in the church? Why is there no office of the prophet? Because we have the Bible. There's no need for a prophet. A prophet was one who spoke the word of God before it was written. That's what a prophet would do. He would speak the scripture before it was written. The Bible says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of, men of God, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake, wrote or spake? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The, a prophet is one speaking the word of God before it's written. Now, here's the good news. The Bible is now written, so nothing that I say is the Word of God unless I'm telling you what the Word of God says. It's done. It's finished. I'm not a prophet. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. I'm not a prophet. Okay? Um, very important. When the church came to the place where God was going to start the church, he gave some prophets to the church. Who were they? The Apostle Paul. Jesus Christ introduced the church. The Apostle Paul spoke what God wanted the church to be. Well, that office is done. The office of the Apostle is finished. 
Now, how many of you know the text that we're going to go to right now? Ephesians chapter 4, and look at verse 11. Be honest, how many of you are already thinking of this passage? Are you raise your hand? A few of you, good, good. Ephesians chapter 4, how many of you are not thinking at all? All right. Oh, by the way, since we're not having an evening service, I'm going for three hours this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11. Just kidding, don't leave. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So God gave some apostles. Notice the order here, apostles and prophets. That was going to be that same office. Okay, now you have an evangelist, which we would call a missionary or church planter, and a pastor teacher. Those are the current offices in the church. C.I. Schofield, some of, you have, um, some of you have the Schofield Study Bible. Dr. Schofield said, a prophet is a man whose function primarily is that of a revivalist and a patriot, speaking on behalf of God to the national conscience, striving to bring faith in Jehovah purity of worship, and patriotism among the people. All right, so what are we talking about there? The job of the prophet was to rally Israel, not to rally the United States. The United States is not in the Bible. The only place the United States is in the Bible where the Bible says that all the nations are as a drop in the bucket. That's, the Bible is not about the United States. All those prophecies, they're about Israel the New Testament is about the church, not nations, but individuals. The, the, the body of Christ is made up of people who have been born again. How, do you, how are you born again? Well, by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So salvation is something that is received as a gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. We're going to baptize here in a few minutes. You can't get baptized to go into heaven. You, your, your church membership doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you get to go to heaven. The only thing that determines heaven and hell is the blood of Jesus Christ, and whether or not that blood has been applied to your account. I'm a sinner. The only thing that I have to offer God is my sin. And what God did was he said, I'll take it. And he gave me, I gave Jesus my sin, and he gave me his righteousness so that I can be saved and have the the promise, the guarantee of eternal life. That's what salvation is. It's such a wonderful thing that God has done that. But in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophet was about the nation coming back to God. It was the nation, how they were to live in the land, in the land, in the land. It's about the Holy Land. And the Holy Land is God's land. That's what the prophet was doing. So back to Schofield. A prophet is a man whose function primarily is that of a revivalist and a patriot, speaking on the behalf of God to the national conscience, striving to bring faith in Jehovah, purity of worship, and patriotism among the people. Okay, here's the problem. This happens in meetings all over the country. I've been in these meetings. I've been asked to speak at these meetings. Let's do a God Save America rally. 
And at the God Save America rally, there's a, there's a bunch of patriotic songs. Oh, beautiful for spacious. You know, and everybody's going to get, you know, America's great. God save America. That's just not in the Bible. Anywhere. I always like to ask a guy, what's your favorite New Testament passage on revival? But how many of you know that the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, was it yesterday? You understand that the United States, the only country that kills more babies than the United States is, is China. Really? God save America? Wages of sin is what? Death. Why would God bless a nation like ours? And I'm very thankful that I was born in America. I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for what God has done through the United States. But right now, the United States is a representative of evil in the world, not a representative of godliness. We're, we're, we are exporting homosexuality. We're exporting abortion. We're exporting every evil thing, pornography. That's, that's what the United States is producing right now. Am I exaggerating it? God save America? How about God save your neighbor? How about God save your children? How about God save your friends? That's the way that God works in this time. If we want to have a national revival, we just need to lead a lot of people to the Lord. Right? Because the nation's made up of individuals. If we can get enough individuals to follow Christ, that can change the conscience of the nation. And what's interesting, imagine if we were able to have a, a, a real, a genuine revival among politicians where they come to the Lord Jesus Christ and then they begin to govern according to the word of God. Would that exalt our nation? Would that give God a reason to withhold his hand of judgment on our nation? Amen? That's the idea. But the idea that we are going to turn the nation around through politics, that is not the biblical model. So what happens is preachers, they take this, these messages preached by Old Testament prophets about the nation of Israel and somehow try to transfer that to the United States. And I, I hate to tell you, Jesus Christ was Jewish. He wasn't American. Right? We are we are grafted into the Jewish tree. It's not an American tree, and missionaries aren't supposed to go to around the world and make Americans. They're supposed to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, I thought we were doing how to study the Bible. There are entire ministries that are based on a wrong understanding of what a biblical prophet was. And so if we're going to do biblical ministry, we need to understand the difference between prophecy and prediction. A prophet was one who spoke for God before the Bible was written, and his message was to the nation of Israel. Now, there is an Old Testament prophet whose message was to a Gentile nation, Jonah. Right? But that's a very unique book, and we, we may talk about some of that later. So, why the prophets came to Israel? This is an interesting thing. We think of a prophet as a good thing. But a prophet always came in a time of apostasy and declension. Whenever you find a prophet in Israel, you know that there's something really wrong. And his message was not positive. 
You know, people love that passage in Jeremiah where God thinks good things of his people, right? I think good thoughts towards you. How many of you have seen that passage before? They don't show you anything else from Jeremiah. Why was he the weeping prophet? Because he was so moved that God was thinking good thoughts toward them. No, because God was going to haul them off into captivity for 70 years because of their disobedience. Isn't that fascinating? Again, I've never seen the, the actual message of the prophets embroidered on a pillow. One of these days, somebody's going to make me one. So what did the prophecy concern? The prophecy had to do... Oh, oh this, this is a good thing. In the beginning, when God established the priesthood, he made no provision for prophets. So a king was born. A priest was born from a family line. A prophet was raised up at a specific time. And so when you understand that, you can start to study your Bible a bit more clearly. So what the prophecy concerned... Prophecy had to do primarily with the moral and religious condition of the people of the prophet's own time. So who was Zechariah prophesying to? The people that hadn't gone back, they had gone back, but they hadn't finished building the walls. They had stopped. They had stopped. They had been 18 years. And so God sent Haggai and God sent Zechariah and said, okay, you've been back in the land. You started, you have houses with ceilings, but my house is not completed. And so that was a specific message to those people, but there is some forthtelling that we can study. But the message was primarily to the people of the prophet's time. The exhortations are local and Israelite-ish. They were for Israel. Very important, all right? So they came to Israel usually to pronounce a problem, and the prophecy concerned Israel. The prophets were appointed, the others were born. So why predictive prophecy came to be written? Why are these prophecies that we have, this prediction? Remember the difference between a prophet and prediction. A prophet speaks the word of God. Prophecy is telling something, that, or the, the, the prediction will tell something that's going to happen. Some of the prophets were also foretellers of future events. When it became evident that the sin of Israel would necessitate the withdrawal of God's presence, resulting in the dispersion of Israel... It also became evident that this would result in the cessation of prophetic utterances. There are no more prophets telling what's going to happen in the future. The other thing about these Old Testament prophets is they almost never have anything to do with the church. And what is the church? So you have the local assembly like Grace Baptist Church. I think the word church is used 115 times in the New Testament. 111 or 112 times it's talking about a local assembly like Grace Baptist Church. So that's the emphasis of the Scripture. Repetition in the volume is what? God's volume control. So we understand the importance of the church by how it's used, and it is talking about the local assembly almost every time. But when we talk about that, um, that the church is not in the Old Testament, there were congregations in the Old Testament, but not the New Testament church. Why was there not the New Testament church in the Old Testament? Because you can't have a New Testament church until the New Testament. That makes sense? All right. So you have that issue. But then the other thing that's interesting is the church, the New Testament church, that is people who have been born again. When you're born again, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the Bible says, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. All right. And that body is Christ. 
Every saved person is in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How do you get in Christ? By faith. You believe, you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you confess your sin to him, you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord, and at that moment, at that, at that moment in time, the Holy Spirit places you into Jesus Christ. That's the church. That's the church which is his body. All right? That body's not talked about in the Old Testament. It's not. It's just not there. What is prophecy about? God wanted to proclaim that in some future day, the messianic kingdom would come. And so prophecy must be preserved for future. All right? So here are the subjects that are covered by prophecy. All right? So there is going to be a day when Jesus Christ returns. The Bible, so, so initially, let me, let me back this up. What are the different types of prophecy? There's prophecy for the, the prophet's own day. This, unless you repent, this is what's going to happen. Jonah goes to Nineveh, repent or God's going to destroy your nation. That was for them. That's not for the United States. That was for Nineveh, the Assyrians, all right? The next area, the next type of prophecy was about the 70-year captivity. Much of the prophecy in the Old Testament was there was going to be 70 years because they had not celebrated the Jubilee year, because they had not worshipped God the way they were supposed to for 490 years. For every one of those years, God was going to bring, uh, to bring them a year of captivity. So they were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And what happened? Daniel read that prophecy. He read the prophecy that was 70 years before him. He read that. He looked at the calendar and he believed that those were actually 70 years. And he said, okay, the time is about to come. So then he looked at the prophet Isaiah, and he took the, he took the writing of Isaiah about Cyrus the king, which had been written a hundred years or more before Cyrus was born. And he went to Cyrus and said, look, my God talked about you. And God, he said, I have anointed you. I've called you by name, though thou hast not known me. Daniel showed the, the, the king that prophecy. And so that king allowed the children of Israel to go back in the land. Why? Because Daniel believed what God had said. Cyrus believed what God had prophesied about the 70-year captivity. So prophecy for his own day, for the 70 years captivity, and then for the restoration of Israel. So God prophesied that there was going to be a scattering of the people. There was going to be a great persecution on Israel. But one day God would gather his people back together. All right? So that's in Daniel chapter 9. Then there's the prophecy of his first coming. Thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though, though thou be small among the, the nations of Judah or Israel, you'll be, out of thee shall come forth he who is from old, from everlasting. He's going to rule. Micah 5.2. So God specifically said the Messiah is going to come. Genesis 3.15, up at enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise uh, thy heel, thou shalt bruise his head. So God pronounced that there's going to be this war of the seeds, that, that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin, the seed of woman. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be born at a specific time when the fullness of the time was come. All of these were specific prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ. And he fulfilled all of them. But not only prophecies about his first coming and birth, but prophecies about his death. 
Isaiah chapter 53, Psalm chapter 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All my bones are out of joint. The Bible says that he's, that he is uh, wounded beyond any man. He can't even be recognized as human in Isaiah chapter 52. He's wounded for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. He, he, by his stripes we're healed. So not only is his birth prophesied, but then his specific death, the way that he would die, that they would be gambling over his one garment. That's specifically prophesied. What they would say when they were walking by, what they would do, they would shoot out the tongue. They would gnaw on him with their teeth. Specific details about what was going to happen when Jesus Christ died was prophesied in the Old Testament. But then there's the prophecy of the worldwide dispersion that they'd be scattered all over the world. In the book of Amos, it talks about how they're going to be brought back from every nation on the earth. The Jews are going to be scattered to every nation on the earth. Then there's going to be the tribulation. So if you you could go to the book of Jeremiah, you could go to the book of Daniel, this time of Jacob's trouble, these seven years of trouble. Leviticus chapter 26, where it describes the specific seven types of judgments that are going to be in the tribulation. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, where it talks about specifically the wormwood that's going to come and corrupt the water. When the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 5, that this wormwood is going to come and destroy the water. That's exactly what happens in the tribulation period. When Daniel talks about this prince that is to come and his abomination of desolation where he sets up his idol in the temple to be worshipped as if he's God. Jesus Christ reiterated that in Matthew chapter 24. It says, when you see the, the, the prophecy of Daniel, this abomination standing in the holy place, run. Don't go back to the house. Don't get anything else. So specific prophecies about the dispersion of Israel, about the dispersion of the Jews, and about the tribulation period. How did the dispersion happen? Well, it's very interesting. 70 years of captivity, and in 70 AD, God destroys Israel and has them scattered around the globe. You can't make it up. That is what happened. And so we learn these principles about prediction. So you have the prophet in his own day, the 70-year captivity, the restoration of Israel coming, the first coming of Christ, the worldwide dispersion, the tribulation period. And then for every one prophecy about the first coming of Christ, there are 11 about when he comes to rule and reign on the earth. That is the theme of your Bible. The prophecy, all of those prophecies about about the, the peace that's going to come. That is when Jesus Christ comes, he returns to the earth, he judges the nations, and he rules and reigns in complete righteousness with a rod of iron. That's what the Bible's about. That's the difference between prophecy and prediction. What we just looked at was prediction, and it's the specific topics that are covered. So, A.T. Pearson, I mentioned him, may have been last week, the difference between A.T. Pearson, who followed Spurgeon, and James White. A.T. Pearson did a Bible study on predictions in Scripture, and it's quoted by Edwin Hartle. And he said, the Bible points to prediction as an absolute proof that God is speaking. I feel like I'm losing y'all. We doing okay? All right. The Bible points to prediction as an absolute proof that God is speaking. I like to say it this way. If God was going to write a book, how would you know it was from God? 
Because he would tell you stuff that you couldn't know unless God told it to you. Okay, so let's try, let's, let's try to work this out. Look at Isaiah chapter 42. This is awesome right here. All right, Isaiah 42. Look at verse 9. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Only God can do that. You know, lots of, lots of people have written prophecies. And, of course, you know, we have the movies today. And what they try to do is they try to take what God did and make it look like... It, it, it's, so, I don't know the Matrix. Is there prophecy in the Matrix? Yes? Okay. So, if there's prophecy in the Matrix, what they're trying to do is to reproduce whatever it was that God said he could do. Because God's the only one who can prophesy that way. He's the only one that is outside of time... It's so funny. For God, we think of prophecy as telling the future. For God, he's outside of time. It's all the same thing to him. It's no big deal. That, that, that's because we have an eternal God. So, uh, I want you to see something. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 41. And what God is trying to do here is he's showing the difference between the prophets of these false gods and himself. So he says in verse 21, Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let, let them bring them forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things for to come. So what, what the reason that we study history is so we can see, okay, God said this was going to happen. Let's look at the past and see if it did. All right? And so God says, let's see your prophets. Let's study what happened in the past. Let's see if what your prophets said have come true. Right? Let's keep reading. Verse 23. Show the things that are to come hereafter. Now, what does the book of Revelation do? Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. God was telling the apostle John what was going to happen hereafter. And here, all the way back in Isaiah, he's saying, let's see if you can do that. So show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Here, behold, ye are of nothing. And your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun shall he come upon my, shall he call upon my name. And he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and the potter treadeth clay. Who hath declared from the beginning that we may know, and before time that we may say, he is righteous? Yea, there is none that showeth. Yea, there is none that declareth. Yea, there is none that heareth your words. The first shall say to Zion, Behold, behold them, and I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth good tidings. For I beheld, and there was no man, even among them, and, and there was no counselor 
that when I asked of them could answer a word, behold, they are all vanity. Remember, nothingness. Behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. But look at the contrast. Chapter 42 and verse 1. Behold my servant, Jesus, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. See the contrast there? God says, look, that's the way that I speak. How do you speak? How do your prophets speak? They can't do it. They can't do it. So the Bible points to prediction as an absolute proof that God is speaking. God makes the claim himself that when he utters these predictive statements, they can come from God and God alone. The difference between the idol of man and God is that the heathen carries his God and God carries his people. Amen? I love that. The proof of a prophet, the things that he utters are fulfilled. That's what Jesus says. Okay, so go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Look at verse 19. All right, Jesus Christ speaking. Now I tell you before it come, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Jesus Christ made a prediction. He made a prophecy so that when it happened, you would know that Jesus Christ is God. All right? What's repetition in the, vo- what's repetition in the volume? What's repetition? Is that what I said last time too? You just laugh at me because I'm different. <laughs> what is repetition in the Bible? All right, so go to John chapter 14 and verse 29. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it has come to pass, ye might believe. That's our God. That's our God. So the Bible is a a book of prediction. And God, as we saw a minute ago in Isaiah 41, challenges other religions to foretell the future. There's a great deal of prediction in the Bible. There is so much prediction in the Word of God that there can be no honest doubt about this book being the Word of God. All right, so let's just look at... um, You know what? I'm going to save that for our next session because I I feel like uh, you aren't listening anymore. Um, Can I just ask you a question? Don't we have a great God? The the book that we hold in our hands, it it is the very words of God. And that was the job of the prophet, to say those words before they were written down. So that's what happened. And then he wrote them down. Let's just look at it. So the Wednesday night we saw it. How did this work? Where where the prophet spoke and it got into Scripture. Look at Jeremiah chapter 36. We'll finish up with this. This is a pretty complicated text. You're going to need your your pastor's skill to be able to understand this. If you're a guest, you'll see why I'm saying that in a minute. So, 
Look at Jeremiah 36, verse 1. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord. Take thee a roll of a book, so that we call that a scroll. Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I have purposed. So do you see how this is a perfect illustration of when God raises up a prophet? Was he giving them good news? No, speak against it. Okay, so look at verse 4. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him upon the roll of a book. God spoke to Jeremiah, gave him the words. Jeremiah spoke the words. Baruch wrote them down. Is that what the Bible says? So let's see if that's how it worked. All right, verse 16. Now it came to pass when they had heard all the words, they were afraid both one and an, one and other, and said unto, unto Baruch, we will surely tell the king all of, the, of all these words. And they asked Baruch saying, tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? Okay, here's the complicated part that you need me for. All right, so look at verse 18. Then Baruch answered them. So here's what Baruch said. He pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Aren't you glad you have me to help you with that? That's how it worked. That's, and those words were then copied faithfully. And handed down, and handed down, and handed down, preserved supernaturally, and then they were translated into English. And we have them today. And people try to get, oh, so it's, it's like the telephone game, and you start to say one thing, and by the time you get to the other end, it's different. Hmm, why should I believe the Bible? Hmm. Because God's not playing your telephone game. He promised to preserve his words, and then he preserved them. So when we study the prophets, what are we studying? We're studying what God gave them to say. Sometimes it will be prediction, but there are specific categories of prediction that are very easy to discern, and that as I listed those, you knew immediately. Yeah, yeah, the the nation's going to be scattered. Yeah, there's going to be 70 years of captivity. Oh, yeah, Jesus Christ is going to be born. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's going to die. Yeah, the nation's going to be scattered. You know, there's going to be a tribulation. Yeah, he's going to sit on his throne. You know that those are the categories of prophecy. You just might not have known those were all the categories of prophecy. Unless it's a specific thing that God said a person was going to do. Remember when Jesus Christ told his disciples, okay, go to such and such a place. There's going to be a guy, and he, he has an ass ready for me. Tell him the Lord has need of it. Well, that was a specific prophecy, Right? Here's what we don't know. Maybe Jesus had already talked to that guy and said, have that thing ready for me. I'll send my guys. Could that have happened? Yeah, that's different than they're going to part my garments and gamble over them, written 700 years before it happens. See, there are specific categories of prophecies, and that's how we can study our Bible and know what the Bible is talking about. Amen? Let's all stand together. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior If you died today, are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven? 
man, I hope that you are. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, today could be the day of your salvation. Just ask him to save you. And the rest of us, let's just study the Bible. Amen? Let's do the work. Let's do the work and know what it says. All right, let's sing this together.